Our text this Palm Sunday comes from the books of Psalms and the Gospel of Luke. From Psalms 118, 1 and 2, and 19 through 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. We beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches. Up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. From Luke 19, 28-40. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethany and Bethany and the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in the responsive reading that is printed in your bulletin and on the screens. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Word made flesh. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Open your eyes to see the kingdom God is creating in our midst. Hosanna. Praise be to God. Amen.
Let us go to God in prayer. Wondrous creator, this morning I come to you with that same prayer that you once again let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Open our ears to hear this word and know that your voice speaks through it. Help our hearts to be strengthened with understanding in the most unimaginable ways so that we may continue to serve you today, now, through Holy Week, and always. Amen. Amen. So Palm Sunday. This is kind of a big deal. This is our first Holy Week together. This is the sixth Sunday of Lent, the beginning of our Holy Week. And we find ourselves back in the Gospel of Luke. I'm kind of glad with that, that deterring to John was a little difficult last week. It kind of changed the story a little bit. Palm Sunday commemorates Jesus' jubilant entry into Jerusalem. And for those of you that were here pre-worship, we had a little bit of a jubilant entry ourselves. It's essentially a piece of theater, dramatizing Zechariah's ancient prophecy from the psalm. The long-awaited divine monarch arrives on a humble donkey, announcing peace to the nations. Shout Hosanna. The new era, the great jubilee, has begun. And keep in mind, we're going to do some conflating today. Luke's gospel doesn't even mention palms. And that's okay. Passion Sunday, on the other hand, tells the story of Jesus' suffering and death, anticipating that at least some won't be able to attend Monday, Thursday, and or Good Friday services this week. And so rather than skip directly from Palm Sunday to Easter, or Hosanna to Alleluia, some churches devote this Sunday to reflecting on Jesus' journey from the cross. Passion Sunday often omits the story of Jesus' arriving in the temple in Jerusalem, in part because of its stark difference in mood between the jubilant parade, like the one we just had, and the somber Via de la Rosa. But this contrastive tension is at the heart of the narrative, right? Our lives don't stop and start. Joy exists alongside of suffering and death. So this overall narrative, the one of betrayal and deserted in the passion, is none other than the one hailed as the long-awaited divine monarch. And as the Palm Sunday account, with its exuberant echoes of Zechariah from ancient texts, it is visibly clear to those in Jerusalem who Jesus is. Some embrace it with Hosanna, and some come at him with fear and anger. So far from emotional, there is emotional whiplash. Then the descent from Hosanna to crucify him is essential to this gospel. Indeed, as Luke tells it, Jesus moves immediately from the joy of the procession to the sorrow of weeping over Jerusalem and the anger of cleansing the temple. The main thing to remember is that Holy Week is kind of a choreography or symphony with distinct movements that unfold throughout the week. We start here with Hosanna in the Highest today, Palm Sunday, to Is It I, to do this in remembrance of me, to remove this cup from me, to I do not know him, then to crucify him, then to Father forgive them, 
And finally, into your hands, I commend my spirit. One way or another, these movements require time and space to be felt, to be understood. And so letting the symphony play out over the course of a week is ideal. This is why we are offering our Monday Thursday service, combined with Good Friday. And at the same time, I'm going to suggest or at least encourage you to have your own time set aside this week for a home-based practice of prayer and reflection. <coughs> Imagine, for example, a home-based tenebrae wreath. Tenebrae means shadows. It's kind of advent in reverse. With a paschal circle candle in the middle, it's extinguished the lights one by one, Sunday night beginning with only the paschal candle lit. Read Luke's story of Psalm Sunday and then light all four candles in joy, hope, and thanksgiving. Thursday night, read Luke's story of the Last Supper. Extinguish just one candle. Then read Luke's story of Gethsemane and extinguish the second. Friday night, read Luke's story of Peter's denials and desertion. Extinguish a third. Then read Luke's story of Jesus' suffering and extinguish the fourth. And finally, read Luke's story of Jesus' death and extinguish the paschal candle. Saturday, the wreath remains unlit and ultimately bare, perhaps shrouded with a cloth. And Sunday morning, the shroud is gone and all the candles are lit with a few more candles added. Along with some flowers and Easter sweets, read Luke's story of the empty tomb and sing, He is Risen. What a beautiful opportunity to celebrate this and to realize the suffering that existed as well. So here we are back at the scripture. Jesus arrives from Mount Olives, and it's not coincidental. His route is a specific enactment of Zechariah's prophecy, where God was expected to arrive via the Mount of Olives on the day of the Lord and become ruler of over all the earth. The point that Luke does go out of his way to underscore is that Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem bears all the marks of this ancient promise. The new era has dawned. In seemingly stark contrast to Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke's story doesn't mention palms. And as a bit of a liturgical nerd, I had to get past that to move with tradition and engage the literal movement of palms into our sanctuary. And his story is the crowd spreading their cloaks on the road. It has a similar upshot. They recognize Jesus as royalty. Same message, right? And plus, we already gave a bunch of coats, so we're good. So the palms work today. And for those of you that enjoy this poetic, prophetic tapestry of Lent, I invite you to take a look at 2 Kings 9. You will find those same striking similarities in this rendering as well. But why do the city's crowds turn on Jesus so soon after shouting Hosanna? For those who understand the day of the Lord as a time of military conquest and prosperity, it wouldn't take long to, seem, to deem Jesus as disappointing, right? Some thought he was an imposter. The promise was prosperity, and Jesus doesn't offer any of that. He offers liberation and an ethic of social justice, which is, of course, far more enduring and much deeper, as we know. For those of you that like the bird's eye view of Luke's passion narrative, here it is. Three things stand out. First, Jesus' status as a long-awaited monarch, whose arrival will usher in the new era, a great jubilee. 
but who is initially met with rejection, just as many prophets before him were rejected. Check one. Second, Jesus responds to this rejection with a nonviolent, forgiving grace, even and especially for Jerusalem. Okay? And third, as we explored a few weeks ago, for Luke's work culminates not with his death, but with his resurrection. While the cross is essential to this movement, the resurrection is the focal point of Jesus' saving mission. The way of life will banish the powers of death, and that victory fully emerges not when Jesus breathes his last, but when he leaves his linen cloths of death behind. So for me, I've come to the realization that while Palm Sunday is an important ritual and tradition in the context of worship, it feels almost irresponsible to just celebrate his entry into Jerusalem for these reasons. We know the whole story. We get to see it retroactively. We get to see it from beginning to end and from end to beginning. Unlike his seemingly clueless disciples, much more like Mary um, of Bethany that we've talked about in our women's group, we have an understanding of what is to come. Stopping with the celebration seems inauthentic, or at least for me, it's almost like leaving the movie before the ending. Right when the wedding, the birth, whatever good thing happens, just because you're attached to the character and don't want to see tragedy befall them. The celebration in Jerusalem, this is the second reason, isn't the ultimate celebration, right? It's like a preemptive sort of celebration. It is shallow and potentially orchestrated by the Roman Empire, the same empire that wishes to at best teach our Jesus a lesson and at worst murder him. If we only celebrate Palm Sunday in a vacuum, we miss the nuances of this beautiful story. So his entry into Jerusalem is the fulfillment of prophecy. We see this via multiple texts from the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible. This then gives more context and a relational commitment to the Jewish text and underscores our relationship to our Jewish siblings. Seeing Palm Sunday in context gives less room for anti-Semitism and more opportunity for a deeper, more meaningful fulfillment of the word. So yes, let's celebrate the beginning of the recognition as rulers. This is truth, capital T, particularly for us as Christians in our space. So as we shout Hosanna, so shout it. Hosanna. Now shout it with the understanding that there are consequences to acknowledging and celebrating. So shout it again. Hosanna. How might you shout it if you knew that acknowledging Jesus publicly as Lord and Savior will ultimately be, in part, the cause of his death? Would you still shout it? You don't have to answer that. Or would you try to protect your brother, your teacher, your friend, your Savior? Imagine all of that playing out in real time. It's complicated. It's not just palms. It's comp There's more to it, right? There are people waving palms, celebrating him, that know he will die. What might Jesus have felt like? Or Mary knowing that those shouts of joy would end soon and that Jesus would be meeting the cross. So remember our text. When they were coming into Jerusalem and the Pharisees warned Jesus to silence a disciple, what does he say? Do you remember? Good, I have a job. He says, I'll tell you, if these were silent... The stones would shout out. Well, Rick knew it, see? You just got to be more you know, confident about it. Preaching on Palm Sunday and the story isn't easy because we know that the triumphal entry
entry doesn't seem to end in triumph. At least not this triumph. Jesus doesn't take power from the Romans. Instead, he is executed for sedition. He will be accused of pretending to be the king of the Jews. And the Romans can't allow that to happen. They decide who is to rule. And Herod was the king of Galilee, while Pilate represented Caesar and Judah. When push came to shove, they had to get rid of him. But the stones can't be silenced. They will have the last word. In Luke's version of the story, we hear these words. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone and rolled it away from the tomb. Next Sunday, when we gather to celebrate Easter, we will consider the meaning of a different stone, the stone that has been rolled away from the door of the tomb. But what is the meaning of Jesus' words here? In what way do stones declare the glory of God even if disciples remain quiet? Fred Craddock writes, something simply must be said. The disciples are expressing what is ultimately and finally true. God will provide a witness through every mouth. And even if those mouths are stopped, opposition to Christian witness cannot succeed. And the truth will come out. If we don't tell the story, God will still find a way to make it known, even if it's the stones that do the preaching. So as you journey into this Holy Week, the celebration of Palm Sunday is so important because it underscored how fast things change and the trauma and devastation that will occur, not only for Jesus, but for those that will grieve, those that will have to assume leadership on his behalf, and many that are still just utterly confused by how this is all playing out. As you move forward meditating this week, praying into Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, even Easter, I invite you to hold your own joy, your own grief, hope and fear simultaneously. Because that's what these gospel characters are doing. None of these emotions existed singularly. And that paradox of emotion what makes this day even more powerful and profound. For me, he did it anyway. He knew today the moment that he was celebrated and people were shouting Hosanna for him as king. He knew he would die and he gave it to us anyway. And that's such a great gift. Amen. Amen.